The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. John chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, would you open them with me to John 13? We'll be looking at the end of that chapter together. We're reading our 27th message through John's Gospel. If you may have it on your app, on your phone, or our Bible, John chapter 13. It's page 1629 in my Bible, if that helps you at all. I've entitled this message, A New Commandment, A New Commandment. Um, in John thirteen thirty-three, we read these words. John thirteen thirty-three. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You shall seek me. And as I said to the Jews, I now say to you, where I'm gone, you cannot come. And I imagine the disciples said, really? You're going to leave and we can't come. In fact, we know that's what happened because in verses 36 to 38, Peter gets an argument with Jesus and says, hey, if you're leaving, I'm coming with you. Of course, Peter would argue with Jesus, right? Who else would have the tenacity to do that? But they heard these words of Christ that I'm leaving and you can't come. And I imagine they scratched their heads and said, did he really say that? You ever read something and say, did they really write that? Or hear something say, did they really read that? I mean, have you ever done that? Uh, one of my good friends sent me a bunch of uh, newspaper headlines. And as you read these, you're going to think, did they really say that? I mean, did anybody edit this stuff? So uh, here you go. Uh, city unsure why the sewer smells. <laughs> I mean, who would really say that and leave that up there? Here's another one for you. Homicide victims rarely talk to the police. <laughs> I would change the word rarely to never, right? Uh, here's another one. Uh, man accused of killing lawyer receives a new attorney. How'd, how'd you like to be that new attorney on that case? <laughs> Uh, here's another headline. Federal agents raid gun shop, find weapons. I wonder what they thought they were going to find there. Um, Diana was still alive hours before she died. I mean, really? Who would write that? Who would say that kind of stuff? Uh, here's one for you. Statistics show that teen pregnancy drops significantly after age 25. These are actual headlines. I'm not making this stuff up. And uh, here's, here's a great one. Marijuana issue sent to a joint committee. You want to scratch your head and say, really, who says that kind of stuff? That's what happened to the disciples. They had to scratch their head and say, really, you're going to leave. We've been arguing about the kingdom. We've been following you as our king. We've just argued about who's going to be grace in the kingdom. You're going to leave and we can't come. Really? I mean, really, that's what's going to happen? You're going to go someplace and I'm going to go. In fact, in John 14, we're going to see in verse 1, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Their hearts were troubled by this news, as they would be. They have followed him for three years, and he says, I'm leaving, you can't come. I'm gone, and you can't come. Well, we pick it up, and really the the first point I want to make is Christ is talking about his departure. In verses 31, 32, and 33, he's really talking about his departure. Follow along with me in verse 31 as I read. When, therefore, he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. So he's talking present tense. He's talking about right now, this is going to happen. Then in verse 32, changes to future tense. If God is glorified in him, God will also, future tense, glorify him in himself and will, future tense, glorify him immediately. And in the verse I read earlier, little children, I'm going to go away and you can't come. Let me set the context for you. Judas has just left the scene. They're in the upper room. Jesus has pointed out that Judas is the betrayer. 
He's the one who's going to betray him, and Judas has left that upper room. Previously, when I preached two weeks ago in chapter 13, verse 1, it says, now, before the feast of Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come. And we talked about the significance of those words, his hour, those words, his hour has come, that phrase. Because five other times in John's gospel, uh, we have read these words, my hour is not at hand, my hour is not yet come, my hour is not yet come. Now Jesus says, my hour has come. What hour is that? It's the hour of his death. It's the hour of his death. And so in verses 31 and 32, he's really describing his death. He doesn't just say, I'm going to die, but he describes it with some glorious language. In fact, he uses the word glorify uh, five times in these two verses. So we recognize right away that he's speaking of something highly significant regarding his death. So he chooses language that not only announces impending death, but verses that describe the significance of his death. So you look at verse 31 and he says, when therefore he going out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified. Now God is glorified in him. So through the crucifixion, through my death, there will be great glory. There'll be great glory. And then in the end of verse 32, he moves to future tense. God will glorify him and will glorify himself immediately. And so we move from the crucifixion of Christ. What's future? Well, we know it's future. It's going to be the resurrection and exaltation of Christ. So Jesus is saying, in my death there is glory, and in my resurrection there is glory. Now, it's pretty easy for us to understand how the resurrection would bring glory. But how does the cross bring glory? The, by the way, the root word for glory, the, the background of that word means to pay, to, to pay honor to. That's the concept, to make heavy. And he, he's saying, through my death there will be glory. Through my death there will be honor. And, and we think about how in the world does death and crucifixion bring honor? How does it bring glory? I mean, it is the darkest hour in human history when sinful man crucify a sinless Savior. It's the darkest hour. So how does that bring glory to Christ and to God? What brings glory because the cross is this place of darkness. And last week, Tim did a marvelous job of presenting the difference between darkness and light. And what we know is during the crucifixion, we see that there's a time when the earth goes dark. But immediately, there's a light because Jesus, the light of the world, becomes alive. And what we recognize is that the darkness that overwhelmed them becomes the light that overwhelms us and offers us salvation. So through the crucifixion, what we see is that no matter how deep the darkness, he is deeper still. And what we see in the crucifixion is the greatest act of love in human history. It was a sacrifice of a sinless savior for a sinful people. And so what we see is that the great glory comes to the love of Christ offering himself on our behalf. The cross of Christ is a place of victory, not a place of defeat. There's a guy named uh, Theodore of Studios. He lived back in the 500. I tried to find out how he got the nickname Studios or where Studios was. I have no idea. So you do the research and let me know. Send me an email this week because I couldn't find it. But oh, Theodore said this, how splendid the cross of Christ. It brings life, not death, light, not darkness, paradise, not loss. It is the wood on which the Lord, like a great warrior, was wounded in his hands and feet and side, but healed through those wounds. A tree had destroyed us. That's a tree in the Garden of Eden in, the, in Genesis chapter 3. A, a tree had destroyed us, and now a tree brings us life. You see, the cross is a place of great honor because it is a place of light, not darkness, because it is a, a place of life and not death, because it is a place of paradise and not loss. 
Oswald Chambers wrote a little devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. How many of you have read Oswald Chambers? I mean, phenomenal little devotional, uh, deep theology. And uh, Oswald Chambers says this, the cross of Jesus is the supreme evidence of the love of God. Every song we sang this morning had to do with the love of God for us. Every single song. The reckless love of God for us. And the greatest display of that love is on the cross. You know, our society, our culture is familiar with victories. We, we know the signs of victory. Somebody thrusts, they, they score a touchdown, the hands go in the air, and, and, the, and the wide receivers do dances in the, in, the, in the end zone. And we see that as just the signs of victory, right? The signs of victory on the cross were in impaled hands and feet stapled to a cross. The signs of victory were the one who has life chasing away death. It's our Savior bringing glory to the Father and to himself. And so an age of victory, when we see it that way, we recognize that not oftentimes do we associate death with victory. And really, that leads me to a second point. The first point is this is a time of great exaltation. But the second point, when I look at these two verses, for Christ, death was not a mournful tragedy. It was a magnificent triumph. It was not a mournful tragedy. But for Christ, it was a magnificent triumph. We don't often see death that way. We often see death as the end, but it's really the beginning if we know Christ. And we may mourn on this side of eternity, but those on the other side experience great triumph. So death, as Jesus looked at it, was not a time of mournful tragedy, but magnificent triumph. I love what one author says about death. He says, while we are shaking our heads in disbelief, they are lifting their hands in heaven in worship. While we are mourning at the grave, they are marveling in heaven. While we are questioning God, they are praising God. We weep and they worship. Tony Evans, one of my profs at Dallas Seminary many years ago said, have a great time at my funeral because I won't be there. Death. One of our dear friends passed away this week, Glenn Brindley. Uh, many of you knew Glenn. Glenn taught our young married Sunday school class with his wife, Nell, for a number of years. And I saw him last Saturday. He passed away, I think, on Wednesday. And last Saturday, he said, uh, Pastor Gary, my body's getting weaker, but my faith is getting stronger. Death. It's a magnificent victory for our Savior and those of us that know him. For those of us that know him, better than baptism or weddings, funerals press our noses to see if we're faithful or not. We press our noses to the pane of glass of eternity, and it makes us look at our own selves and say, do we know this Savior? And as we look at that, we recognize that Christ saw it as this great, great triumph. No one can escape the clutches of death, but we can escape the consequences of death. Can't escape its clutches. You've heard me say a hundred times up here that statistics on death are very impressive, one out of every one of us. You can't escape its clutches, but if you know Christ as Savior, you will escape the consequences of eternal life apart from him. 
So Jesus looks at his disciples in verse 33, he says, little children, it's a term of uh, endearment, technion's the, the Greek word, and he says, uh, my little children, he's talking to grown men now, he's talking to disciples after three years, and it's a term of endearment. He said, boys, come here, I, I'm going to be with you just a little while longer, you're going to seek me, and, and just as I said to the Jews, and I'm going to tell you where I'm going, you can't come. When did he tell it to the Jews? He told them in John chapter 7. The Jews have gathered with Christ. And here's what he says in uh, John chapter 7. It says, I'm go- I am with you for only a short time. And then I'm, gonna, I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. And so the Jewish leaders said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we can't find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? Uh, what did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. So they were confused. Christ is saying, I'm about to leave. And what he meant, he's gone to his father in heaven, right? He's going to die and go there. But they had no understanding of that. And so he turned to the disciples in John 13 and said, by the way, you remember when I told the Jews a, a couple of months ago? I, I'm telling you that same thing. I'm leaving and you can't come. And that's when they have to think, really? I mean, really, you're going to leave us after three years? Three years of following after you, three years of being persecuted on occasion, three years of following your teaching and commanding, you're going to go and we can't come. And they had to be confused. There was angst. You look at Peter's answer. I mean, his argument with Christ, look at verse 36. Lord, where are you gone? I mean, he didn't know like the Jewish people didn't know. And the end of verse 36, where where I go, you can't follow me, he says, but you're going to come later. And Peter said, Lord, uh, why can't I follow you right now? It's like Peter's pitching a little fit like a three-year-old. I'm going to lay down my life for you. And said, Peter, the cock's going to, before you, the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter has separation anxiety. How many of you have kids in our nursery right now? Some of you have kids right now. I heard them. They have a little separation anxiety. They, you put them back there and they're, ah, my mama's leaving me for 30 minutes. I think I'm going to die. And that, that's, that's what's happening here. I mean, you got little ones screaming. It reminds me of the story of uh, the little newborn who had colic all the time. And uh, he just screamed and screamed, it seemed like, all day and night. And finally, his five-year-old sister turned to the mom and said, uh, where'd we get him? <laughs> and the mom said, we got him from heaven. And the little five-year-old girl said, I can see why they don't want him up there anymore. <laughs> That's Peter. He's saying, hey, if you're gone, I'm coming. Where you go, I'm going to follow. And Jesus says, no, Peter. That's not going to happen this time. But Peter, I'm not going to leave you alone. You can't come, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you two things. I'm going to give you one another. And we're going to talk about that in detail in a second. But also in John chapter 16, a couple of chapters later, he says in verse 7, I tell you, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The helper is the Holy Spirit. He says, Peter, disciples, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you one another, but I'm also going to give you the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, the moment you accept Christ as your Savior, a 200-pound Jewish Galilean doesn't jump down your throat, but the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, indwells you. But he says, I'm also not going to leave you alone, and that's the crux of what we're going to look at in a second, in a moment. I mean, this is now the command or the demand of Christ, to follow the D's in my outline, the, the command of Christ, the demand of Christ. 
Here's what Christ says. He says, I've got a commandment for you. It's a new commandment. This is verse 34. A new commandment I give to you to love one another. Even as I have loved you, love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. So just as glorify was the key word in verses 31 and 32, it's pretty easy to pick out the key phrase in this section, isn't it? I mean, three times we see the same phrase. What is it? Love one another. I mean, it's the key phrase. Repetition is done for emphasis. And so here's Christ emphasizing his glorification. Now he's saying, I I want you to love one another. You see, the relationship between Jesus and disciples are changing. Up until now, he's been physically present. So how did you know if who were followers of Jesus? Well, the word disciple, our, our English word disciple in the Greek language, it means a follower. And so up until now, you knew who the disciples of Christ are because they followed him. They went with him. The 12 guys followed after him. Also, other people followed after him. And so where Jesus went, they went. When he taught, they listened. They were, he was, they were physically present in the presence of Christ. But now things are changing. He's leaving. So how are you going to identify a true follower of the Savior? How's it going to happen? Well, if a truck pulled up in front of your house, it was a brown truck with yellow lettering. And uh, a guy or a gal wearing a brown uniform hops out and they put a package in your front door. We've got several people here that work for this company. You would say they work for, who said FedEx? <laughs> that you, Linda, you said FedEx? <laughs> UPS, right? Or if you see somebody, I mean, you see a dude who's about six foot five, 395 pounds with a star on the side of a helmet, and he's got blue and he's got silver on, he does what? He's a football player for, yeah, or peewee football, maybe, if that's <laughs> Organizations have identifying marks. What's the identifying mark of a disciple of Christ now? They shall know you're my disciples because you have an ichthus on the back of your car. Because you've got a bumper sticker that says Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. They shall know you're my disciples because you wear a cross on your jewelry, as your jewelry. They shall know you're my disciples because you go to a place that has a steeple on it. They shall know you're my disciples. The identifying mark of a true believer in our day is because you love one another. Because you love one another. Now back up for a second. A new commandment I give to you. What's new about this commandment? I mean, what's new about it? All the way back in Leviticus, Old Testament times, we're told to love one another. So what's new about this commandment? Well, if you look in your Bibles, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as, if you write in your Bible, circle that word, as I have loved you. Now we've got a whole different source, don't we? We've got a whole different measurement. How did Christ love his disciples? Selfishly, selflessly, and sacrificially. He loved him even to offer his life. Greater love has no man than this, to lay down his life for a friend. And he's saying, I want you to love one another as I love you. By the way, the word love here, used all three times, is the word agape. It's an unconditional love. It's a love that thinks the best of others. It's a love that's not always criticizing others. It's a love that cares for others. It's a love that responds to others. And he says, 
I'm giving you this new commandment to love one another as I've loved you. So he's saying this commandment is new, first of all, because it's sourced in me. It's only through my grace that this is going to happen. Only through my example of love that this is going to happen. And, and then he says, all, my disciples, see, he's leaving, and they're not only going to be part of this new source, that is how Christ loved them, but they're going to be part of a new community. The new community is found in Acts chapter 2. I'm leaving, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and you're going to be part of this new community. You're not going to be left alone, you're going to be part of this new community. This new community is called the what? Church. I'm going to leave, and the church is going to be here. The church is not 3205 Oakview Drive. The church is not a place with a steeple or stained glass. The church is you. That's the church. We are the church. And he says, here's the identifying mark. The identifying mark is your love for one another. So, I think we have to back up. And I, I, I almost entitled this sermon, Loving Others in a Selfie World. I mean, we live in a culture and we're absorbed with the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. I mean, we are. It's all about us. Look at me, look at me, look at me. I mean, I, I can't tell you the places that we've been like for treatment in England. I mean, everybody's taking selfies. I mean, they got selfie sticks and you got all this stuff. And it's like, hey, look who I am. Let me put it on Instagram so everybody can see where I've been. It's all about me, right? In fact, I've got a, just a 15-second video clip that, that shows us this. Watch this little clip. It's all about me. It's me. It's me. It's me. <laughs> I love me some weights. I love me some selfies. I love me some cats. I love me some mint condition first edition superhero comics. I love me. 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 I love I love me versus I love you. How can you show a guy lifting weights followed by a guy playing with cats? <laughs> Just saying. But that's us. I love me some coffee. I love me some shopping. I love me some weights. I love me some animals. <laughs> I, I, I love me some... What was the last one? I can't remember now. I'm going to blow me away, whatever it is. But you see, loving others in a selfie world, what we're talking about. And he says, you want folks to know you're my disciples? You love one another. Well, what is love, Gary? Help us understand what love is. I'll do that. Glad you asked the question. So uh, love uh, ran across this acrostic. Love is listening listening. I mean, in our day and age, we want to be heard, not listened to. There's a reason why God gave us one mouth and two ears, okay, to listen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 
great follower of our Savior who lost his life in a concentration camp in World War II wrote about the ministry of listening. The ministry of listening. Red Book, the magazine uh, aimed ladies mostly at you, ran a survey not too long ago, and they asked if you could change one thing about your husband, what would you change? 67% of the women, their first answer was that my husband would listen to me. How do you display love? One of the greatest ways to display love is by listening, by listening. You get some friends out there, you listen to them, or you can't wait to talk. There was a high school student, Jay Kessler, head of the ministry of Youth for Christ. He said, I had a high school student one day tell me, uh, Jay, in my home, I'm a comma. He said, when a high school student tells you something like that, you listen. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, my mom and dad, they talk and they talk and they talk. They stop for a second and I say something. But I'm like a comma. They don't comment on what I say. They just pick up their conversation from where they were. They don't listen. You listen? Listen to your friends? Listen to other followers of Christ? Listen to your spouse? Listen to colleagues? One of the greatest displays of love is listening. Love, overlooking, overlooking. We all have idiosyncrasies, right? I mean, I get to share mine all the time because I'm the guy up front most of the time. I've got so many idiosyncrasies, my precious bride over here has to overlook so much of my stuff. I mean, she does. In Colossians, Colossians, it says uh, that we are to overlook these things. It says bear with one another. Doesn't mean being a bear to one another, but we bear with one another. We put up with those things. She puts up with my closet. If you're new here, my closet is sacred space. Okay, sacred space. Everything's in order the way it's supposed to be in order. If you need some help, I can give it to you. I could be a closet organizer. I could get a second job doing that. He says, as God's chosen people, holy and loving, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with one another, forgive one another. We overlook. Sometimes we see the worst in people, not the best in people. Sometimes we begin accusing people of things that they did not do, and that is so wrong. And we learn how to overlook. Not sin. We deal with sin. But overlook idiosyncrasies. He clears his throat all the time. She channels her all the time. You ought to see the way she drives. You ought to see the way he parks. And we begin to nitpick one another to death. You see the way they dress today? You you see what they said? She probably put on about 10 pounds, didn't she? And we nitpick. And love is when we overlook that stuff. We love one another enough to overlook that stuff. V is valuing. V is valuing. There was a uh, 12-year-old girl, and she said, Grandma always makes you feel like she's been waiting to see you all day, and when she sees you, her day is complete. It's a great statement, isn't it? She just values her. Do you value people? I mean, do, 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 you, really, do you really value people? Or, or do you write them off and say, eh, you know, look who they are. Think of what they're like. And then finally, the E stands for expressing, expressing love. Expressing love. How do we express love? In word and in deed. Little children, John says, love one another in word and deed. 
Aristides, who was one of the early church, fa- uh, who was a, a, actually a Roman, was writing about the early church fathers. He said, they love one another. They never fail to help widows. They save orphans from those who hurt them. If they have something, they give freely to the man who has nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home, and they're happy as though he was a real brother. They don't consider themselves brothers in the usual sense, but brothers through the Spirit in God. You see, that's what we do. That's how we love one another. We care for one another. And I've got to stop and commend you. This body does a phenomenal job of doing that. If it's the go-to guys or the mercy team or we just did backpack buddies and project apple tree and you give and you give and you give and you give some more. And you reach out generously and you supply. You shepherd our kids back there. We get a bunch of kids. Usually when school starts, we, we increase attendance about 20%. And so we get a bunch of kids out there and you willingly shepherd those kids. Look around and see all the people with launch pad t-shirts on right now. They are ministering to our kids. Some of you go and serve with junior high kids. That's the toughest bunch in the whole church, I'm telling you. But you love on them and you care for them. And they're college kids and high school kids. And if there's a need, you meet that need. And I, I watch as, as folks pass away and you, you saddle up next to them and you love them and you care for them. And that, that's what we're to be about. We're to be about loving one another. Not griping at one another, complaining about one another, picking on one another, but loving one another. Because when we do that, the world notices that we are like our Savior. The destiny of Peter we're going to talk about next couple of weeks, his destiny is to deny the Savior. Loving one another, my friend, is not an option, but it's a command. This commandment I give to you, love one another as I've loved you. We love that way because he loved us. Sing Sing Prison, I didn't know much about it. I began to read about it. This is a picture of Sing Sing. Many years ago, it's been closed for a number of years, but uh, the most hardened criminals in America were often sent to Sing Sing Prison. In 1921, a new warden was appointed. His name was Louis Loss. He had a wife named Catherine Loss. They saw prison as their ministry. She said, my husband and I are going to take care of these men, and I believe they will take care of us if we love them well. It's a great statement, isn't it? She had been cautioned. She said that she had three daughters, three young daughters. When, they became, when her husband became warden in 1921, she was a young mother with three daughters. Everyone warned her, never set foot inside the prison walls, but she didn't listen to them. When the first prison basketball game was held, she went in, her three girls in tow. They sat in the bleachers and cheered along with the inmates. She heard about a prisoner who had lost his eyesight, so she taught herself, or she was taught Braille by someone else, so she could teach this prisoner Braille so he could read. A few years later, she learned that there were two or three men who were hearing impaired, so she studied sign language so she could communicate with them. She loved these prisoners. She often went into prison and ministered to and alongside them. That ministry began in 1921 when he appointed... Uh, warden of the prison. In 1937, the men in Sing Sing knew something wasn't right. Lewis Laws didn't show up for work that day. Word quickly spread that his dear wife Catherine had been killed in a car accident. She had lost her life. The following day, her body was to be on display, or not on display, but was to be honored in the home, three quarters of a mile from the prison. The acting warden took an early morning walk, early morning walk. As he was walking, he saw a sight he would never forget. Pressed against the fence that kept the prisoner in, prisoners in 
were most of the prisoners from Sing Sing, pressing their faces against the fence to get as close to the body of Catherine Laws as they possibly could, tears streaming down their face for a woman who had loved him well. He made a decision. He decided he would allow every one of these prisoners without guard to walk the three quarters of a mile to the warden's home, fouled by the body of Catherine Laws to pay her honor and then return. As I read this, it says, the gates were unlocked. They walked without escort or guard to pay their last respect to the woman who loved them. And to a man, every one of them returned to Sing Sing. The power of love. They shall know you are my disciples when you love one another. We have the privilege, the high privilege, as followers of our Savior, to love him and to love one another. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love of our Savior. We thank you for the one who gave his life on our behalf. And we thank you that it's a love that will never end. It's a love that you have for us and that we can share with others. In a moment, the worship team is going to lead us in a song. It's a song about a love of Christ that will never fail us. And I pray for some of you. Some of you may have religion, but do you truly know Christ as Savior this morning? And I pray that you'll see those impaled hands, those hands that are open to you. And I would ask you to pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, I want to make sure that you're my Savior. And so today I ask you for the forgiveness of my sin. Thank you for your love for me. And others of us right now know that we are not loving the way that we should love. We're at odds with somebody. There's some broken vows that need to be reunited. We're holding grudges. Or maybe we're just plain mad, angry. And he says, this new commandment I give you, love one another as I've loved you. Because the identifying mark of a true disciple is when you love one another. So Bev and I will be down here in the front. We'd like to pray with you over anything in your life. If I've got any elders here, elders, wives, would you join me up front and you guys can come pray with them as well. Scriptures say any of you cheerful, come and rejoice. Any of you hurting, come and be prayed over. So we'd love to do that with you this morning as we sing of the love of Christ together. So let's stand. If you want to be prayed over for any reason.
mercy for me every day And your love never fails You stay the same through the ages And your love never changes There may be pain in the night But joy comes in the morning And when the oceans rage I don't have to be afraid Because I know that you love me Your love never fails Your love never fails Your love never changes 
I'm sure most of us could line up here and say, I'm hurting, I need prayer, right? And so my prayer is that you will take the love of Christ and apply it to loving one another. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that is so true and that your love never fails. So we go our way, loving one another and loving you in Christ's name. Amen. Bless you guys.